Hello, cyber friends. This is Chatting Cyber, and I'm your host, Mark Schein. This podcast focuses on how companies can help qualify and quantify the cost of a data breach. Chatting Cyber features some of the most well-respected privacy and cyber experts in the world. Join the conversation with business leaders, government agencies, and cyber experts to learn more about how and why they got into this ever-changing field that we call cyber risk. Hello, cyber colleagues. I'm Mark Schein, National Co-Chair of the Cyber Center of Excellence here at Marsh McClendon Agency. And today we have a true cyber celebrity here with us, Corey Simpson. Corey, thank you for joining the podcast again. One of the select few that have come on two times. A a two-time offender, Mark. It's great to be back with you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, Corey, I just want to jump right into it. Being one of the foremost thought leaders in the space, I'd love to know what your thoughts are in the uh, with respect to the Russian invasion on Ukraine and how that's affecting geopolitical and cyber risk. Sure. Um, I think it, it's good to start with a frame of where we were pre-invasion, you know, a month ago. Um, so a month ago, where, you know, the environment was described as a VUCA, right? So volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous that environment, and then it was existing in a context where our political, our economic, international security spaces were converging. And all of that in a context of great renewed great power competition, um, which is all taking place predominantly over, over a domain, i.e. cyber, that is inherently unsecure. Um, so that's, that's sort of pre-invasion. Um, and then you have a uh, land war breakout in Europe. Um, and that's, you know, what, what are the implications of that? First of all, I, I do think it's important to, to highlight um, anytime we're, we're talking about um, the invasion of Ukraine that Russia's actions are illegal, they're immoral and they're wrong. Um, and the, the fallout from that on just a human toll is going to be devastating for the days, weeks, months ahead. And the ripple effects um, more broadly, you know, are, are going to be significant as well. First of all, um, I do think that we've seen is in terms of a response, um, the, the Western democracies really effectively wielding non-military instruments of national power. Um, and they're doing so in, in, a, in a thoughtful manner to engage in what I think is correctly labeled um, economic warfare. So non-military instruments of power, when we talk about instruments of power, you do so in the, you know, with the, the acronym, the acronym DIMEFIL, which is your diplomatic, your information, um, your military, um, excuse me, sorry about that. Um, and then you have uh, your military, economic, uh, financial intelligence and law enforcement. And so, what we have done is we've said, you know, the U.S. and Western democracies have said, okay, the military we will we will hold back. But if you take, you know, a a single footstep inside of NATO territory, the military instrument of power is will be unleashed on on Russia. Sure. So up until that point, we are seeing sanctions remove removal from the SWIFT system, um, huge uh, in in a way in a coordinated fashion we have never seen before, at least in, in recent history. Um, I do think what that, the one of the fallouts that will be 
um, is because that is being seen as an instrument now to inflict pain upon Russia, is that will then become a target for Russia. Um, so I think you will see uh, financial institutions targeted in a very robust capacity. Um, you know, traditionally, um, most, uh, most of the time, um, elements of the SWIFT system um, have not been interfered with. And um, I think because we essentially leverage um, removal of this, you know, of Russia and Russia banks from the SWIFT system, um, that you'll see it targeted and you'll see it, it done so in a very robust capacity. Um, regarding other targets, we, you know, I'm interested to see where, you know, if you'd like me to address anything or you, you want to go one direction or another, let me know. I mean, so, so, you know, from, a, um, you know, you know, we've spoken in the past, some of the targets that have seemed to be getting hit more so is the IT versus the OT. Can you explain why that might be happening? Yeah. Um, so from a from a perspective of, you know, pulling off an effective cyber operation against a um, water treatment facility, a power grid, you can do um, it can be done, uh, you know, a spray and pray like you, you just very broadly recognize what you have and you, you try to do something to disrupt it. Um, not very effective and not very effective in a meaningful way. So if you want to be effective um, for the ITOT, it requires knowledge, physical knowledge of the facility and that relationship between the IT and the OT. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, you know, it is hard to do um, to get that physical knowledge in the United States. It's probably easier to do in Eastern Europe where they, you know, there are, it is known more Russian actors doing human intelligence on the ground. And so they have, um, they have more uh, capability in that regard. But in the United States, while, you know, it is known there, and as we've, we've talked about in the past, and I think one of our colleagues brought up, there are certainly agents that have been discovered in the U.S., but not in not in the numbers and not in the ways that we see elsewhere. So I think it it is far less likely that you will see that form of an of an attack, and much more likely that you will see um, Russia, Russian cyber actors lashing out at financial targets. And are the adversaries still targeting critical infrastructure? Is that their number one goal, or is it more economic? Uh, um... Uh, headaches that they're trying to cause. So I, my sense is it's it's more economics, so it's more financial targets. So I I do believe, um, and that's for the the Western um, democracies, you know, which are also the majority of global GDP. Um, you know the the instrument that they have used to. Um, essentially uh, punish Russia have have been financial and economic. So I think that you will see, you know, uh, a tit for tat, so to speak, in, in that space, especially. And it's also easier to do with remote access. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, from an insurance perspective, uh, not necessarily having to do with the invasion, one of the things that uh, carriers are most concerned about is systemic risk or a systemic type of loss. Do you think that given everything that's going on in the world today, that's increasing the likelihood of some type of large scale systemic type of loss from a cyber attack? Um, I, 
that's that is where where we sit today i don't i i can't imagine that being likely um for a number of different reasons um but most immediate i think um shown very clearly to the world is the the capability of the the russian military um is not what we thought it was um you know in in less than 30 days 10,000 russian soldiers have been killed in the invasion um they've proven incapable of um of effectively um doing combined arms maneuver um their their invasion is stalled and I think that's largely because of communication communication issues. They they have um, uh, limited uh, communication capabilities. Now, what does that mean? Um, I mean, at the end of the day, cyber um, for military units, it's it's a a form of signals, right? Um, and I think as they start prioritizing efforts, their efforts will first be on the ground around them. Sure. Um, I think you're probably going to see, if you think about it too, internationally and domestically, domestically within the domestic audience of Russia, um, Putin is going, he is asking the Russian people to pay a very heavy price for an illegal war that he has chosen to fight. Um, the cost of living is going up. It's once winter hits, you know, it's, there's going to be food sh shortages. Um, there's going to be, you know, austerity to a, a a level that has not been experienced in Russia for a long time. And we know historically um, the the uh, the Russian people or the, the Russian leadership, at least, is very willing to pay high prices for strategic objectives. They lost 22 million people in World War II. Um, I mean, when you, you think about it, um, I, I think the focus will be domestically um, you know, to to make sure that, you know, and probably leaning towards China to ensure that there's a connective mm -hmm. tissue between banks, between financial institutions, because that that connective tissue has essentially been severed from the West. So I do think, um, you know, they're just going to have out of necessity to folk, their focus will be different. And I don't think you will see effective large scale systemic losses. Um, I, I don't doubt that, um, you know, and we've talked about, you know, a, APT 28 and 29, the GRU and the um, FSB. And I think some of the access and placement that the Intel entities um, will probably be leveraged in the days and months ahead uh, to inflict harm. But I, I don't know. Um, how much more placement access they can they can get once they burn that because I think they're just going to be so overwhelmed with other issues. I does is that helpful? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, which kind of leads me into almost my next question is the information campaign. We're hearing so much about where it seems like Ukraine is more focused on explaining their story to the rest of the world, where it seems like Russia is more concerned about keeping the message internally within the country. Uh, am I wrong in that sentence, or is that overall the, the generality in that? Uh... Well, I, I wouldn't, I, first of all, um, the, the, the Ukrainian people, the Ukrainian government, um, President Zelensky has done, but they are winning the information warfare fight. I mean, I, I like it's, it's been incredible. Um, truly, it has been. Um, and, and I think that's to the international audience. I think, you know, 
the way that information warfare or information operations are likely to be used in this context is to increase the density and the size of the fog of war, right? To make sure that, you know, whatever is happening on the ground in Ukraine is obscured um, and that uh, a large piece of it, it never leaves, you know, that country because it benefits, you know, Russia is waging an illegal war. Um, and so, one, I think that means different things to the domestic audience within Russia and to the inter international audience. The domestic audience within Russia, I mean, ten, the loss of 10,000 Russian soldiers, just in this, those um, numbers are conservative and for killed in action in under a month. Um, in, you know, for context, the U.S. lost about 7,000 soldiers in Afghanistan and Iraq over 20 years. And so that that is a large sure. number of, of Russian soldiers that have been killed in action. Um, and that, that can be pretty demoralizing to a military. And it's certainly going to be hard as 10,000 families um, that are, you know, back that are going to receive, you know, lost um, sons and husbands. And I mean, that is not a good environment in which you're also asking people to endure starvation, higher costs of living. So he has the, the domestic situation. I think there's going to be information that's going to be obscured to like mask what is actually happening, the amount of loss, and it needs to project strength and, you know, in victory within. I think externally, um, I, he is, you know, the Putin's um, army has has committed war crimes in the past to include the very one of the invasion itself. Um, and if, you know, and I hope uh, we should all hope that this doesn't happen, but if they besiege cities in the way they have in the past, i.e. just surround them with artillery and armor, cut off all supplies and then indiscriminately bomb them until they're rubble and the people are dead. Um, you know, it's a it's going to be a, a bad situation and also one in which you don't want broadcast into the world. So I think that that's, um, you know, in using information operations to obscure that um, so that the video or the feeds coming out don't show what is actually on the ground. And I'm, I'm thankful that we've had, you know, media taking extreme risks to make sure that this stuff is seen by the Western world um, and that that human toll is shown. So I think that's that's uh, what we're likely to see with with information operations. So, so Corey, for the listeners and the clients on today's uh, podcast, um, if they wanted to reach you, um, they had some additional questions, perhaps something more sensitive to their business. How would be the best way to reach you? Is it email, uh, company website? Uh, how can they get a hold yeah. of you? So the best way to get in touch with me is through Resolute Strategic Services. Um, you can go to the website. I'm on the website. You can just click on it. There's, you know, LinkedIn. I am I am discoverable on, on the internets. <laughs> perfect, perfect, um, perfect. Yeah. So, so before I let you go, I mean, we've spoken about a tremendous amount of information uh, spanning, you know, many different topics. Is there anything that I should have hit on or we should have hit on uh, that we didn't get a chance to uh, throughout today's podcast? I, I, I will just say, um, you know, for the specific to the cyber risk, one res resources, right? Like, what can you do? So, so CISA has a Shields Up program. Um, 
could Google it, you could get to it. There's great information, great tips, and in um, you know, up to up to date information and threat uh, sort of threat assessments. So I would please, you know, pay attention to Shields Up, follow it, um, and then I I would also say that it it is vital um, during you know the weeks and months ahead for the U.S. that all all of the efforts to increase you know public private collaboration that we start doing that in a meaningful way that we have very real um collaboration in which intel is shared from government to the private sector in an actionable you know at the speed of relevance um and i think you're going to start seeing that and i think we we all need to be prepared to be agile um in in our organizations and in our plans because i do think we're going to be asked to adapt to a lot in the environment so that would be my final thoughts well corey uh i certainly appreciate your guidance and thank you for coming on the show again and chatting cyber with us yeah thanks so much Mark. cheers